Christ has to be at two days. You know what I mean? Like, it's just another day of the week.
Yeah. I think we want to talk to the people from our Adam. From our Adam. Alright, guys, that was safe. We're going to be here. Oh, sick. Can't nobody be sick. We're going to have to see. Alright. 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 Alright.
uh, for many years, and we love the community, we love the people, we love the diversity of, of people and, and culture, different, uh, the, the art culture, the music culture, and we're just loving it here, and um, we love, especially the, the Wicked Park people who actually live here in Wicked Park. Uh, you want, want to see more like you want to see, I see your friends, eat your neighbors, and so that's why we, we are here, because of Jesus, and and as a, and okay, we have services, Sundays at 5 p.m., which you guys are attending right now. Tuesday's Bible study with me and Vanessa. Friday's Elevate. Whoa! As much as praise, we have a vision that God has given us. It's one of the two greatest commandments that Jesus said was to love God and love people. Amen. We love God by worshiping Him, by obeying His commands. We love people by helping them in their times of need. And preaching the gospel to them. Come on, because everyone can use Jesus, right? Amen. Amen. And we have a strategy with which we're going to implement in order to carry out this vision and carry out our, our goal. We have a strategy to connect. Remember, Sam, everyone say connect. Yes. Connect people to God by preaching the gospel, connect people to a good church by mental praise. Uh, and then we get we get into mentorship. Everyone say mentor. Mentor. We have the one on one and the two on one. One on one is the seven steps of spiritual growth. You're gonna learn the foundation. For example, the first lesson goes into prayer, study the word, and Christian fellowship, which is essential to our, our walk with God. Amen. So if you have not in the one on one yet, you get into the one on one, and then we have the two on one, which is a, a form of a leadership class. And through the whole mentorship process, you, you you go through both of these books, the one-on-one and the two-on-one, and after that, you get sent out. I didn't want to say send. Send. So it's connect, mentor, and send. You go through that, that process. Mind you, just like those who, who has been to the, the winter retreat? <laughs> Almost everyone here. <laughs> Pastor Glenn said that he, quote, the process is not the purpose. Amen. And so the process of the, the one-on-one and the two-on-one and being sent out is not the purpose. Okay, the purpose is to make disciples. It's to bring people to Jesus Christ. It's, it's conforming our lives to the Word of God in order for our lives to change others' lives. Amen. 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 So we have a goal of 100,000 disciples here in Chicago. Give it up if you're a disciple. Amen. I hope you guys all are. He wants to be a disciple. We're going to make disciples, not just regular church attendees. And we want 50 churches here in Chicago. We're on number two. We're in the second one. We have 28 more to go, and we want 500 around the world. We have just about 200. And so God is doing a great work here in Metro Praise. And I want to give it up for uh, some of these other books that Pastor Joe wrote, which has helped me. Um, Helping Muslims see Christ in Christianity is is very thorough in what um, what Islam Islam's doctrine is, what Muslims believe, what they do, and how to reach them for Jesus Christ. So if you haven't picked this up yet and read it, get it. And also what helped me in preparing myself for dating and for marriage to my beautiful wife is Date Like a Christian. Awesome, awesome insight and knowledge and, and, and psychological stuff of how you see yourself and how you can see others through the eyes of Jesus. Godly dating, okay? Okay, and if you're not in a live group yet, come join us on, on Tuesday at 7 p.m., okay? And our 500 churches around the world, we, we give a certain amount uh, to each church every month for missions, so I encourage you guys to, to help support these churches because they're doing such a great work 
they use Christmas time to evangelize. You know, in, in our culture, we use Christmas time, you know, to, to give to others, which is, you know, giving is, is all good, you know, in, in its proper place. But the Indian culture is different. They use that time. They're, they're not all, they're about giving and stuff, but they used it. They took advantage of that time to reach out into their communities and to receive by preaching the gospel. And so they're doing a great work over there. There's many churches, there's many pastors that are pastoring not just one church, but multiple churches every week. And they need our support to be provided for. Their families need food, their church, their churches need material and stuff. And we send over these books and um, they they need they need some of these books. So so the, the money that you guys give to missions goes towards these books as well, printing out these books so they have a one-on-one and a two-on-one in your language and print them out for them. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, the, the tithe is 10% of your total income. And whatever you give beyond that is giving offerings. So think in your mind right now, whatever you make every month, if you don't know it, figure it out really quick. And then take that number and move the zero over to the 10 spot. And there's your tithe. Okay, that's 10% of your income. Now, some people, you know, have asked, well, do I tithe off the net or do I tithe off the gross? Gary, what do you tithe off? Gross, before taxes. Okay. You can do either one, but remember that when you get your tax income, then, you know, that's something that you haven't tithe off it. Okay, so you either tithe, but if you tithe off your gross, you don't have to, you know, tithe off of Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, we can do it whichever way, but pray if you guys haven't already to have a generous heart to give, no matter yeah. what the amount. Yeah. But whatever you have already decided in your heart to give, give. Yeah. And give and only give it unto you. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk to you guys in a serious moment about our giving campaign. For this, the rest of this month and next month, but for this month especially, we need at least $1,500 to cover us for, for the rest of this month and next month, okay? So that $1,500 we need to raise within the next, what, week and a half, okay? So I I encourage you guys to pray right now. In fact, uh, Vanessa, get back on the guitar real quick. Yeah, just a couple minutes. And I just want you guys to pray and ask God to give you an amount to give. Because I know God corporately can, you know, can fulfill this amount that you Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work that you're doing here, Lord God. And, and we cannot do this work if it wasn't for you, Lord Jesus. If it wasn't for this congregation, Lord God, that, that gives, Lord Jesus. We need givers. We need generous givers, Lord God. Not that giving, Lord God, not their needs, Lord Jesus, but giving by faith of what you have and in obedience of what you have put on our hearts to give, Lord God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you, that you fulfill this amount, Lord God, and not just the 1500 that we need by the end of this month, Lord God, but the total of 500000 or 5000 that we need, Lord Jesus, in this whole giving campaign, God. We know you can do it, and by faith, Lord Jesus, we believe for it, Lord God, that will be in our hands, Lord God, because even as a church, Lord God, we give, we give to missions, Lord God. Pray, Lord God, that as they give, Lord God, you will bless them tenfold, Lord God, a hundredfold. Lord God, press some chickens together and running over, Lord God, they will receive from others, God. In Jesus' name.
confess this, this verse, say it out loud verbally, so that, you know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the message of Christ. Amen. And this is part of God's message. Okay, Philippians 4.19. One, two, three. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. Rejoice if you did. So, 
to give you a quick background about myself, because I know you think yourself like, well, like, how are you? I, I didn't really know about him. Well, the thing is that I got saved a long time ago, and then I backslid a long time ago, too. And I backslid for a while. And that's just an unfortunate thing. But you know what? I came back to the Lord, right? So I came back to the Lord. And it was like, like four years ago, I believe. And I was looking for a church to become a leader because I knew that God wanted me to be a leader in church. And so I was looking at the time for just, you know, different churches. I actually had two at the time. But I, uh, just, just the craziest thing you can think about, I was a friend with Vanessa just for like the longest time in my life, and it really was. We were like friends for like eight years already or something like that. And, you know, she was talking to me about her church or whatever, and so God led me here, and, you know, slowly but surely I went into the process. Just like, you know, Connect to Understand, I first got connected into it. I went into the one-on-one, then I went into the two-on-one. I was in the two-on-one for a long time, you know, because the Lord God I needed some things out of my life, you know what I mean? Amen. And so I came out of it, and, you know, here I am today, standing before you guys, preaching Amen. the Word of God. And so it's just encouraging yeah. to know that. And I just want to start off a little bit talking about what happened in the retreat and how Glenn was talking about the processes that, you know, lead us to who we were supposed to be. You know, it's not just the process that we live for, but it's actually the goal, the, you know, the outcome of it. And so I was actually thinking about how it ties in so perfectly with our series. If you think about the mountains of influence, and a lot of the times when we think about, you know, the process, we think about, like, retreats, we think about this, and it's just like we like to get caught up in just hearing about change, but we don't actually like to produce change. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we need to understand. This series is that kind of thing for you guys to produce change. You have to look at every single thing that you're involved in, whether it's in education, whether it's in business, whether it is in the church, you know, as an elder, as a deacon, or as a 201 student. You can produce change. You can be an influential person. And that's what God's called us to be. So now that you've, you've gotten all the, the nuggets and all the stuff from the retreat, now I want you guys to not just speak the, the word. I want you guys to live it now. Amen. That's the most important thing, to have faith to do it, and not to just to say it, but to give it out. Deeds, you know, actions, all right? Amen? Amen. So if you guys can turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28, and we're talking about government today. Matthew 28, the, the scripture for just the whole entire series. And this is an awesome scripture. It's just so full of... And I was thinking about leadership, and to hear now that 
we can influence that. Just by, by who we are here. We can influence that. That makes the world a difference. That makes actually the, the change in my heart and the inspiration for me to actually go out and do something. Amen. And if, this, if you guys actually can see right here in this verse, it says, Therefore go make disciples of what? All nations. So now, you know, God, Jesus Christ, he sent disciples to go and make other disciples. And guess what? You know, Jesus didn't come to America at first. We're not like the Mormons who believe you know, he was in like the South America and all that stuff. He was there with like the, the tribes and all that stuff. No, he was, guess what, in Israel, wasn't he? And some people had to come here at first, right? They had to have missionaries to come here at one point and it just spread out like that. And that's like all over the world. And there's just, I believe, like 20% unreached people. And that's just an amazing statistic for what, seven billion people on the planet? Come on now. Mm -hmm. So think about that. So we are called to be disciples and all nations are supposed to do that. But what is a nation? What is exactly that? Well, it's a, it's a organized group of people with uh, the government over them, obviously. People are in charge of your safety. People are in charge of maybe things that you, know, that you care about, you know, your causes, your values. And so there we are, you know, this is why it's important for us to know. We all live in the nation. We all should care about what's happening in the government because the government will affect us, you know what I mean? So we have to go through that. And just to start off with America, you know what I mean? Like, like I was saying earlier, I didn't really care about it and whatnot. But, you know, this is what we need to do. We need to understand where America came from, how it came to be, and, you know, what is the values that it, it holds. And if you think about that, if you actually think about why it is that you're able to, you know, do whatever you want in this in the planet, but in this country, you're able to walk out the street with a Bible in your hand, you're able to actually witness to somebody, you're able to do that. That's because there's been a process to get to that point here at this point. You know, I mean, we, we, our government was established to do that. It wasn't just, you know, it was put together and now it just came out like a random like collision and all that. No, it actually was you know, very, very well thought by people who dedicated their life to politics. They, they made it their goal to make the country so free and to go on the Bible. And that's why our government, that's why our country is so amazing. That's why so many people have to come to it. Immigrants come because what? It's land opportunity. There's so many freedoms, there's so many choices. You can do inventions, you can do all sorts of things. And so we have a video right here, and I just want to show you guys this. And it was just an awesome video, so you guys should just uh, prepare your hearts. Is America really a Christian nation? Is a question some people may be asking this Independence Day. So, what did America's founders really believe? Paul Strand has the next book. Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Here gathered the men who fought a revolution and created a country the most free country to have ever existed. Why so much freedom? Some say because these revolutionaries really accepted what the Bible said about human beings, that they are created in the image and likeness of God. Robert Hutchinson, author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Bible, says for the first time in history, an entire country was actually founded upon the idea that all human beings possess certain innate, uh, inalienable natural rights and that these are not privileges that are bestowed by the state, but are gifts from God that no state, no king or potentate uh, can take away. So what did the men who gathered in this hall believe? Some modern scholars would have you think, if they did believe in a God, he was a distant one, far removed from the affairs of men. But others indicate they believed in the God of the Bible, an intimate Lord who bestowed upon them blessings, gave them both responsibilities and rights. 
Pastor Peter Wilback recently wrote Wall of Misconception, in part to correct misunderstandings about the founders and their faith. There are those who would like to argue that we were started by secularists, those that had no interest in religion. At best, they were deists, that God was irrelevant, and a deist said God has not spoken. There's no word of God for a deist because God's not involved in history. And yet, Milbach points out the Bible is the book these revolutionaries turn to over and over again when laying the foundations of America. Over one-third of the citations of our founders come directly from the scriptures, more than any other book. They were not biblically ignorant. As one writer says, they knew the Bible right down to their fingertips. Another third of the founders' citations came from masters of philosophy and law, who just happened to be Christians who drew deeply from the Bible. John Locke, Montesquieu, and Blackstone. All of them were Christian thinkers. And that is two-thirds of our founders' writings by explicitly Christian thinkers and the Bible. Interestingly, the founding fathers didn't feel it was simply their right to overthrow their British rulers, but a biblical responsibility. There are clear passages in the Bible that when a ruler becomes a tyrant, it is the duty of the people to overthrow him because he ceases to be a legitimate leader and is now a criminal. Two of the most famous founders felt so deeply about this idea, they thought it should become America's motto. Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin both wanted to have the motto, Rebellion to Tyrants is Obedience to God. And that's actually a very biblical idea. Some scholars say these founders wanted a high wall of separation between church and state. And for that meant they wanted a vast distance between God and government. Simply clear, our founders did not want to separate God and government. The Declaration of Independence on four occasions refers to God, and that created our government. The last words of the United States uh, Constitution say, in the year of our war, in 1787, every preamble of every state constitution begins with an affirmation of the existence of God. Lilbach says the wall the founders built for the First Amendment was to prevent America establishing a coercive state church, like so many other countries. So it wasn't to separate God and government, it was rather, we don't want the government to tell us how to interpret the Bible and how to use the Bible in our worship. We want to be protected from government coercion. The very fact the founders created a democratic republic is because of their biblical beliefs. Ancient Israelites were basically a tribal of democracy, and in Deuteronomy, God commands that the people select leaders from all the people. The founders who gathered here at Independence Hall time and again spoke of how they felt God expected them to forge a form of government that could best guard the rights he gave human beings. They searched diligently in the writings of top Christian philosophers for the best ideas. The Catholic theologian Thomas Aquinas thought that the ideal form of government was a mixed government that had elements of a democracy, an aristocracy, and a kingship. That's remarkably similar to what our founders created a Congress to represent the people, a judiciary to judge their laws, and an executive to execute those laws. It's all meant to give the maximum amount of liberty to a free people and protect their God-given rights. If you don't believe that human rights are something given by God, uh, then they can be taken away at the whim of the state. And we've seen that time and again when atheistic regimes have taken over. When a citizen who met Ben Franklin outside Independence Hall asked what he and the other founders had created inside, he said, a republic, if you could keep it. The second president, John Adams, warned, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. In other words, only in a land where citizens believe God made men free will freedom long survive. As Patrick Henry put it, it is when a people forget God that tyrants forge their chains. Hutchinson says, with few exceptions, the only countries on earth that actually practice religious tolerance 
and how civil liberties and political freedom are those nations that descended from the biblical heritage. The reason it matters whether or not the founding fathers were true Christian believers is because if they weren't, how could they have formed a Christian nation? And that's a crucial question of national identity. It didn't used to be back in 1891 when the U.S. Supreme Court itself declared this is a Christian nation. Paul Fran, CBN News, reporting from Philadelphia. Something that popped up to me when I was listening to that, and it was that our country was formed on, and you know, we had the basis to believe that everybody here has rights given to them not by my man but by God. And so that is why it, it made our country so significant, so different. We would talk about all these other nations and all that, but our country was different at that point. It was a beautiful thing to, to have the basis of God, you know, God being the focal point of why we were able to do what we do. It wasn't secular humanism. It wasn't saying, you know, we're all, we're all created equal because it's just we're all in the melting pot. No, it was because God did it, because we were all created in the image of God. And that's why people like, like Thomas Jefferson, people like George Washington, the founding fathers, they fought for that so that you can have that freedom. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And so we just have a great heritage to think about, and there's Christian heritage. So the first thing we want to talk about, first of all, is in 1776, 29 out of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence had seminary degrees. Doesn't that show you that they had they had God as their you know their paradigm? They had God as their their focal point. They just thought about God to start with every single thing. And if they want to make a nation, they were of course going to put God and the Bible there. That was going to be the most important thing. But look at that. So that's about half of the people there. All of them were seminary degrees. I don't even have a seminary degree yet, but they, they knew what they were talking about. They were theologically sound people. And that's what the most significant about that. Number two, in 1782, Congress printed the first Bible for schools. So look at that. And that's, so our, our nation was actually printing Bibles and like government-issued Bibles were being handed out for the schools. And what was the schools? Exactly. They wanted to have the textbook. The textbook, the number one textbook would be the Bible. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if you if you had a Bible in your as your textbook for your school? Man, I'm about like in the 90s. I would have been like crazy for me, you know what I mean? But think about that, man. Just a Bible, you know, looking through Deuteronomy, looking through like Psalms and Proverbs. You would like have so much of the issues that we have now, uh, you know, in the school system. There'll be so little now. We talk about, you know, like schools like Shures, like Crosser, like like Wells over there now, with all these fights going on, with all these things going on. And why? Because he took God out of the system. Yeah. Right? Obviously. So now, I'm very, I'm very sure that you guys are getting that now. That the yeah. government, you are in the government. You have to understand how you can influence the government. You got to know where it came from, what is it doing. And so this is why we're even talking about it today. Uh -huh. Number three, in 1857, U.S. Capitol building uh, held the largest church in the U.S. with the Marine Corps uh, band playing the worship song. So in the Capitol building, they actually had the largest church for that time. Can you imagine that? In the Capitol building. Man, you can't even like go anywhere and pray. You can't talk to somebody. They want to kick you out of like. I remember back in the day, we would like evangelize over there in the six corners on Beeman and and North and uh, Milwaukee. And you know, we're just right in front of Starbucks, and they're just we're just talking about Jesus and whatever. Now, like, like, you know, like open the door and be like, you can't do that. We're gonna call the cops on you. Are you serious? Think about that, man. Our our country came from the point where we had the largest church in the Capitol building. What what happened? You know what I mean? Come on. Number four. Kind of like cutting there, but in 1881, President James A. Garfield, the 20th president, founded Harvard University, and he was the minister. Think about that. You got, I, I remember it. Don't worry. So, <laughs> he, he founded Harvard. 
And that's not, not just like the only Bible college that was around. Actually, if you talk about Yale, Stanford, majority of colleges, you know, the big colleges that you know of were started as Bible colleges. If you were to look at their emblems, they always have some Latin thing with the Bible there. You believe that? And a major, actually a major ministry that reaches out to people in colleges is uh, Veritas, Veritas Forums, and it's the pursuit of the truth and whatnot. And so that is just to show you that, man, we thought that knowledge and the ability to get and be intelligent and to proceed and, and further our education was going to start off with God. That's what our government thought. And to be, to be honest as well, that's how we even had education in the, the smaller parts, you know, for, for youth and for little kids and whatnot. Because I remember Thomas Jefferson, he himself, he wanted to, to have an educational system where people can go ahead and uh, just, you know, be taught what the country means, what, what is it to be, you know, democratic, and to actually, you know, stand for, for God. And actually, I'm sorry, I think it was Andrew Jackson, so just correct myself real quick. And just to show you, man, that we, we cared about these things. We cared about that. We cared about education. That's why we have education today. That's why we can read the street, you know what I mean? We can read the Bibles and whatnot. Because it was all about God. God wanted to do that. God wanted us to be free. And just like we have free will to choose God or not, you know, we have free will to not care about the government, not care about all that stuff. And so here we are today, and we're talking about it. Amen? Amen. So, you know, we're talking about all these great things. And we have these two founding fathers that... I can actually point to you and show you that they actually cared about God. So John Adams, he was the second president, and he said this, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Amen to that. Can you believe that? I will avow that I then believe and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. They value independence. They knew that it was important. We are made in the image of God, and therefore we can be independent. Therefore we can have freedoms, and we should have freedoms. And that's why they fought for it. That's why they did that. Amen? Amen. And then now, uh, sixth president, John Quincy Adams, he said, in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior. The Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of the human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. Amen? Amen. Man, I just, I'm just blessed by that, all right? So we're talking about, you know, how our country was founded on that. And we talked about us having a Christian nation. But guess what? I bet all of you guys know here that we're not a Christian nation anymore. And actually, I've, I've seen a video before where Barack Obama, you know, our president right now, he was talking about how our nation isn't a Christian nation, how if you were to include every single you know, religion that we have and all that, then you'd have to conclude it's a Muslim nation, it's an atheistic nation. It is a Christian nation as well, but it's a Mormon nation, it's a, a Jehovah Witness nation. Direct words from Barack Obama. So you ask yourself, so why is it that he said that? Well, because guess what? The devil's a liar, that's for sure. Okay. Okay. He did not know what he was talking about because our nation was founded on those things. Our Declaration of Independence says that we have unalienable rights from God. So what does that mean then? So what do we do that? Well, guess what now? We're talking about now a moral degradation in our society, in our culture, in our government. Before we used to value the Bible, before we used to value prayer, before we used to value the morality that's found in God. And now, guess what? Not even anymore. Is it any wonder why we see our, our crime rates going up so high? Is it any wonder why when you look at murders in America, and they stagger to the millions, I'm pretty sure like thousands, 
and you look at another country, it's just a sad comparison. You can say America has about 100,000 you know, murders, and then you look over here, and let's say you know, Britain, it has about 1,000. Completely different. Why is it then that we are suffering in so many different ways? Why is it that we, we have so many different depressed people? Why is it that that's happening? Because our leaders, the people who say that they know, you know, they have values, they have ethics, they're the ones who are guiding that way. You know, what happened in, in the 1960s? Well, right? Everyone was supposed to be in schools, right? Didn't they get taken out? What happened to, what happened with, with the Bibles being the textbook of the, the schools? Guess what? It was taken out too. And obviously, when we took out all those things, what did we put in? Metal detectors. <coughs> metal detectors to go in right there. Now, let's forget about you know, training the kids to actually care about you know, morality and to be good people, good characters. No, let's just, let's just tell them what they need to know, how to read a, you know, a book, read something like that. Just let them, let them know. And that's it. Isn't that a sad thing? So we need to do something. We need to cause change. We are the citizens, right? We can do something in this place. We can actually fill this place up for Jesus, you know what I mean? We can cause revival in this place. We can cause that. And I, I just want you guys to get in your heart now that you are those instruments of change. You can do it. You have a voice. God gave you a voice, didn't he? Everybody has a voice. You can say amen, right? Amen. We all have a voice. And I love that, man. But God wants you to do something. You know, we are disciples. And disciples, guess what? They can influence the world around them. Right? And that's why we're talking about mountains of influence, right? You now can go ahead, stand on that mountain, and you can start saying things. You can start going ahead and growing it up with Jesus. Amen? Amen. So let's go to uh, the first one. And it says to live a righteous life. That's how we can first you know, change our government. Show them that we actually care about the Bible, and the Bible does work. So if you can turn to Proverbs uh, 11, verse 10 through 11 as well. the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked it is destroyed. It's just awesome. And so the first verse is just saying, look, one way or another, when God gets his way, there's going to be rejoicing, okay? So, so when the righteous, they prosper, the city rejoices, it is exalted. And then when the wicked perish, guess what? The wicked are not there anymore, and God can actually get exalted now. So guess what? There's shouts of joy in that place. And that's what can happen in our nation. That's what can happen when in these, even in the streets right here, down there and down north, place that is so atheistic, guess what? They can actually have the shots of joy because a corrupt system can fall and because a, a new leader can come who has actually Christian values, who cares about the Bible, who cares about God, who cares about producing change that involves character building and people getting their lives right. Come on with that. Right. Amen. And you guess what? The mouth of the wicked, it will be destroyed. <coughs> One way or another, man, God is going to hold everybody accountable. Every single person is going to be accountable to God. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how they want to run from their lives. It doesn't matter how long they live. They're going to stand before God. And God's going to be like, what did you do to that nation? What did you do? And then you guys, the citizens, obviously, if you don't care about the government, you're not going to do anything. And what happens, let's say, 10 years from the road or whatever, and we become communists and all that stuff, you can't even believe in Jesus anymore, and you have to worship the, you know, the dictator there. What are you going to do there? Well, you're going to say, I wish I had said something then. I wish I had cared about the government then, you know what I mean? Jesus, help us. Come on. Come on. All right. Now, let's go to the second point. Oh, I think we were there. And it says, pray for the nation's leadership and citizens. 
What a perfect way to build off the last point. We have to pray. We have to pray for our leadership. That is the best point. I don't have wishful thinking, you see. When I say I, I, I want our nation to be changed, I'm not just saying wishfully. I'm not just saying it because I want to say the right thing before a congregation. I'm not saying that. What I'm doing is I'm doing it in faith and saying every single one of you guys can make a difference by praying to God and saying change right. leadership, change yeah. Congress, change the people that are there. Make your word of God. Make the word of God paramount there. Yeah. Let, let you know the principles of God, the commandments of God be spoken of there. You know, forget about the, the secular humanism, like I was saying earlier. We have an obligation. We're held accountable to God. They need to be held accountable to God, too. Yeah. And prayer will do something, man. And Revelation talks about the bowls of wrath. And guess what? It's in the bowls. The prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints will go out regardless. And they are actual things that God listens to. There are things that you're not just saying in the air and they're just bouncing back to you. No, guess what? God is listening to them. And he actually cares about what you're praying about. Amen. Amen. So... You can just turn real quick to First Timothy chapter two. That's already on there, so that's great for me. Still an easier so I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Now we are to give prayers and all that for everybody that's in control, the kings. And guess what? Why? Because we want to live a quiet life. If we actually pray and they get changed, you know what? We can actually pray in the streets. We can actually bring the Bibles back into schools. I'm a youth minister. You know how difficult it is to actually go into the high school and say, I want to start a Christian club. I want to talk to the youth here. You know, we have to, some of them to give their life to Jesus. It is so difficult. It is so difficult. Why is that so difficult? Because government, the government and people in charge, they don't want you to do that anymore. They don't, they don't care about that. Exactly. And so think about that, man. And guess what? It says, and it is good and it pleases God our Savior. Because he wants all men to be saved. Amen. You don't want Barack Obama to be saved? Let's pray, man. Let's make a difference in the, in the spiritual realm. You know what I mean? And why do we pray? Because we don't wrestle with with wrestle, <laughs> wrestle with you know flesh and blood. We don't wrestle. We don't go actually to the congress and we're like, okay, you need to get saved now. That's all stuff. And so we we pray, you know, acting like the you know secret service and the us up and all that stuff. Other than that, you know, what I mean, what do we do it for? Because we we wrestle against the principalities. You know, the demons and the, and the, the people in the, you know, the dark forces, think about that. So we can actually change. We can, you know, break all those chains off of the government and the leaders there. Their hearts are so hard and their minds are so blind. And we can change that. Amen. Amen. Now, the next point is to vote support candidates who support cause morality. Come on, man. Is there any reason why, you know, like we, we, we have issues with what, like, our government is allowing, you know? We, we allow, oh, what is it, pro-choice, pro-life, and all that stuff. And then we get disgusted by things like that. We think about, you know, the infant side that's going on, all, all the abortions that are happening. We think about all those things. Is there any wonder why that happens? We need to have people who actually care about God's morality, people who yeah. care about yeah. what God cares about. Yeah. Because if we, we ask, you know, the next Joe Schmo to come into office, 
person who, you know, who's raised by, by you know, let's say like, God forbid, but like lesbians and becomes a girl and says, you know, we all just need to have a good time and, you know, who cares if it's just have a party and go home and say, like, we don't even have to worry about police, we don't have to worry about all that stuff. Don't you believe that police, like the actual itself, 911, police and all that, isn't it a godly principle? Yeah. Come on, it's, you know, protection yeah. of every single person, caring about every single person. Why is that? Because we all believe that everybody is valuable. We believe that every single person, you know, it means something. And so we're not going to just let anybody just run them up and, you know, kill people on the streets. No, we want to put them to justice. There's something in our hearts that believe in law. And we need to have people who really care about the law. We need to have people who care about justice. Mm-hmm. Who, who don't say that justice is blind. Who say that justice will be carried out regardless of what the excuse is. Mm-hmm. 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 And it says in this one, I think this is a lot longer verse. But yeah. yeah, we can just turn to it. Deuteronomy 1, verse 9. Deuteronomy 1.9 At that time I said to you, You are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as many as the stars in the sky. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he's promised. But how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? Choose some wise understanding and respect the men from each of your tribes, and I will set them over you. You answer me, what you propose to do is good. So I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority over you, as commanders of thousands, hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and as, and as tribal officials. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the dispute between your brothers and the judge fairly, whether the case is between brother Israelites or between one of them and an alien. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man, for, judging, for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will hear it. And at that time, I told you everything you want to do. Amen. Amen. That just shows you that God cares about it. God cares about every single person. He wants to hear every case. Every single person has a voice in the system. Now, obviously, in a, in a crowd of 300 million people, you need to actually get a voice to, to speak out, you know, like you say, to the top leaders and whatnot. You need to have representatives, don't you? And that's why we have the House of Representatives. That's why we have people in charge of that. That's why we have local governments, you know, the city of Chicago itself, the state itself. And so just to show you guys, man, that is an awesome thing. All right, amen? Amen. amen. Well, all right. And the next point, to support righteous causes. Now, we need people to support righteous causes, don't we? Yes. Okay, I was talking about morality and whatnot. It is important because when, when you are, in a, like I said, in a culture where you're living there and you want certain things to not influence you and whatnot, you know, like I was saying, you have that voice to change it. But guess what? If you look around the whole entire area, this is the city, town, you know, the, 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 the state, whatever, and if you're looking at it and you see that there's just bad things in there and you cannot, it disgusts you, it grieves you, you know, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? Well, you need to have people that you can say, I, I support that person because they care about, you know, the topics that I care about. Obviously, as a church, we care about certain topics, and so these are some of them that we have. Mm-hmm. One, we care about babies. We care about, you know, life. And so we, we don't want to see abortion happen. That is just the most ungodly thing you can hardly think of, man. It is just, it's just nasty. It's despicable. And, you know, it's selfish in a sense because, you know, this is a life. This is a, this is a child. 
and God is in care of every single child. Yep. Why is it that now all of a sudden now we think that it's our freedom now to go ahead and to, to kill that baby and all that stuff? Right. Go ahead and do that just like you can do every other sin. But why do we allow that? Yeah. Right. Come on now. The Bible doesn't say it like, you know, and then the fetus and all that stuff. It, it says in the Bible, the baby in the womb. It's a baby still. Mm-hmm. You know? Come on. How, how can we do that? I've heard a story before where there was a woman who wanted to get an abortion and whatnot, but she had a child already. And so the person that was about to do it, they, they said, well, why don't we do this? Instead of actually, you know, just killing the baby inside your room, why don't we just kill the baby that you have in your hands right now? It's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But why? Like, there's a baby like, in your room as well. They're both the same thing. So why are you so worried about that? Yeah, See, it's, right. our, it's, our, it's our perception of that. And that's why we need to understand that. Amen? Amen. Also, we need to preserve traditional marriage. You know, sometimes we just need to think logically about, you know, who we are as people. And our government should also obviously do that as well. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because the Bible says that, you know, men will not listen to the things that are good. They, will put up with, they won't put up with anyone. They just want to listen to whatever they want to hear. Guess what happens? We have people who are okay with perversion. People who are okay with marriage happening in this place. But that's not the way God involved marriage. That's not the way God actually proposed marriage. Marriage is supposed to be a place between a man and a woman. And guess yeah. what? For a family, they're supposed to have children. Yeah. But, but why is it that we think now that marriage is just relevant to whoever we want to give it to? And it can be between a man and a man, you know, between Adam and Steve, or between Elizabeth and Chloe and all that stuff. <laughs> What's up with that? Like, why is that? Why is that in our mind? Like, it doesn't make sense as, as human beings because as human beings, the way we reproduce is with a man and a woman. So why is our government allowing us to not build our own cultures? Why is our government thinking that it's okay to destroy ourselves? Why is that the case? Man, come on, man. All right, fight corruption is the next point. I want you guys to think about that. Fighting corruption is something that we need to, to hold account. We need to say that this is something that we want. This is something that we cannot say this is negotiable. No, we need to say we are not okay with corruption. We are not okay with what we do to our marriages, what we do to our, our households, what we do to our, our streets, our, our, our businesses, what we do to our schools. Yeah. 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 All, all these things are happening in our schools. All these things are happening. Think about how the, the family is being degraded because, you know what, well, we're okay with the corruption in, in the, the marriage. We're okay with a man thinking that it's okay to, to not really be, you know, caring about his family and to kind of wander off and whatever. Is there any reason why there's so many single mothers now? Because mm-hmm. men don't even think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Their idea of family has been so corrupted. Right. You know, and we need leaders to actually care about that. To say, you know, I care about the family. Let's build the family back up. Let's let's hold marriage to its count and let's not let corruption invade us. Because when you what is corruption? It's a cancer. It will eat us alive. And if you look at history, whatever, whenever a culture or, or society has degraded morally, what happened after that? The fall of that culture. When you think about the Romans, about the, the, the Greeks, when they allowed, you know, the, the man-boy love. And when the, the family started falling apart, when men stopped caring about actually, you know, working hard, and they just wanted to go pursue their own little joys and, and like little toys and all that stuff, what happened? Immediately, there was no leadership. It started to fall apart. Why do we care about this? Why do we want people in life? Because we want people who stand on God's word. Because God is not a liar. He does not say things that don't make sense. He says things that do make sense. And when we talk about the family, we need leadership, don't we? And we need every single thing to be in place. Otherwise, we cannot go anywhere with God. We cannot go to even church. You can't even go to church unless there is the ability to do that. There's rules. There's, there's things that protect us from doing that. We need people to actually stand up with opinions. 
who had stances, ideas, who say, you know what, we need the right, we need the traditional things that our country was built upon. We just deviated completely. Completely. What are we going to do about that? And the last point, um, for this part, there's two more, sorry. To guard freedom of religion, obviously, and then protect our citizens. Amen. Amen. Yeah, here's the last one. And some of you guys here, obviously, you know, I'm hoping you guys get inspired, man. We just get inspired to do something to do. I know that, you know, just hearing about this, you know, studying for this, but I, I want to make a difference, you know. Like, as a, as a Bible college student, you know, my heart's always been for nations, but guess what? America's a nation as well. And so I have to love the place that I was born in. I have to love this place. Come on, man. I used to boast about, like, many different things back in the day. I used to boast about being uh, born in Ravenswood Hospital because the name is cool. And all that stuff. But why not? Why not boasting about being an American and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like I, I think differently now. I know I'm an ambassador of Christ. I know, you know, uh, we're all, you know, just children of God, and wherever we're born in the world, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean, but like, I, I want to really do something in this place. Okay. And so this, this plan right here is to run for office. Some of you guys might be so inspired, you're gonna say, I want to do something. I, I really want to change. You know what I mean? Let's say that right there, like Josh, he just wants to come up out of nowhere. So I want to be president of the United States one day. You know? So he comes out there, and you know, his, his, inaugural, his inaugural speech is going to be like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to follow these words and pray. Come on, that was so awesome. <laughs> I remember back in those days, man, Bible project, I would keep hearing like Bertle talking, all these different people, and we're just saying, like, man, what would happen if like Barack Obama actually came up to the podium and was like, all right, guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going to stop allowing abortions to happen. And we're gonna bring the Bibles back in school. And guess what, man? I need to get saved, so I'm gonna get out of this moment. Go and pray for a Come on, man. That'll be so awesome. So, if you guys have it in your heart today, one of you guys, man, I just encourage you to go after that because God is looking for people who will actually govern the people with, with justice, with, with integrity, with holiness, with righteousness. Come on, man. It makes no difference, man. Come on. We're here in this church and we need to. We as leaders need to be that way too. Don't we? Imagine, you know, like let's say Vanessa over there, you know, she's like smacking everybody that came in the door. She started cursing at everybody. And you're like, what? It's the pastor and all that stuff? Get out of here. I mean, we need to have people who actually fit the role. Who are willing to to lead a people with the right things. Isn't that? All right. And Vanessa, if you can come up here. Great. Just in closing, we're going to conclude real quick with everything. The first point was to live a righteous life. The second point was to, to pray for the nation, you know, the leadership and for our citizens. The third point was to vote, you know, and to, to support get people who, you know, have God's morality. The fourth point was to support the righteous causes that we, we all know God wants. And the fifth point was, you know, anybody here wants to run for office, you know, just do it, amen? But as we were saying that, it's good, you know, we, we just gave the message, we got inspired to do it. But what do we have to do now? Like I, I was saying to you earlier, we like to hear messages about change, don't we? We just love it, we like to hear it because it so inspires us and makes us feel like we're part of it. But now, this is time for you to be part of that. It's time for you to really make it practical. How do we do that? Well, the Bible says it, it says in the Second Chronicles. It says in 7.14, and if my people, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear, heal their land. 
and we need to see God's face. We need to see God's face because without it, our land will not be healed. Just, just around the corner over there on Wells, on uh, the high school Wells, when we first went there to evangelize as the youth ministry, there was a fight that broke out. Man, our land needs to be healed. We need a purging of this. this we need a purging that will run from top to the bottom completely. And we can do that. But only if we see God, because we ourselves, we can only do so much. God needs to do it, isn't it? God is the one who can change everything. So if you guys, you guys can actually stand up. We're just going to pray now for our nation. We're going to pray for, for repentance. We want revival in this place. We want people to come to know Jesus. We want the government to come to know Jesus. The governors, the, the mayors. We want the, the congressmen. We want the, the representatives. We want the president to be saved. So let's just seek after God now.
point, God, knowing that our prayers and needs are to you, oh God. And the place that we live, Lord God, the people in charge of us, Lord God, we want you to do something in their lives, Lord God. We want you to reach out into their hearts, Lord God, and to let them know, Lord God, that you are in control, that you are Lord and master over everything, Lord God, that they should answer to you, Lord God, they should go before you, God, they should care about the things that you care about, because you are the creator of all men, Lord God.
Father God, we lift it up to you, God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Prayer. If you guys just want to be instruments of change, then I just ask that you come up to you know Chris or Vanessa or myself and Ronnie, and we're here to pray for you guys. Amen. So Amen. we're always open to you. Amen. Announcement too. Uh, for those of you who want to go to the the healing and deliverance service as a early part, we're going to be heading over there in about 15 minutes. And I have the 15 passenger van, so if you need a ride, I can take you. All right.